Welcome to Sharing Plate, a podcast all about food and the role it plays in our sense of self, our sense of place, and of course, our sense of taste. I'm Laura Bishop, and I'll be hosting guests from around the world as they share their plates that connect them to home, wherever that may be, to their people, whoever they are, and to their own special memories. This is a foodie's journey that transcends generations and nations. So please, Come sit with us as we serve up recipes and stories. My mum used to say, you know, if you eat the fish eyes, you'll be very clever. (laughs) How many dishes do you want us to... Or is it a case that we could just do what we got and then you just take one out if it's too many or something like that? I've got one with two stories. I've got five, essentially. (laughs) She eats a lot. There's going to be a lot of laughter with today's guests. Mother and daughter team, Helen and Benita. Hi, I am Benita. I am Kenyan, I am South African, I am Ugandan, but I'm not any of those. I'm a Londoner. You are definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Always. My name is Helen and I'm Venetia's mom. I was born in South Africa during the days of apartheid. Most of my life actually I've been living in Britain because my mom sent me to boarding school when I was seven years old. So I, oh, I didn't know that. So Where, whereabouts? Uh, this was in Devon. It was a Devon. boarding school. Yeah. I think we should dive in with a dish. Who wants to go first? I'm really excited about what dishes are going to come out today. Should I go first? Yeah. Okay, so um, my first dish is uh, beans and rice. Beans and rice? Beans and rice. So it's, it's one of those dishes that we have always eaten, like from being very little up until even a couple of days ago. We have it in in various guises. It's a dish that reminds me of first coming to the UK, actually. Okay. So when we first came here, so it was 1991, so we came um, on the same day that the Gulf War started. Exactly. And we'd flown into into Heathrow Airport and there was just loads of military everywhere because the war started. And so at that point, I'd just turned 10 at that point and the tea would have been six. Six. Um, And it was middle of winter, early January or mid-January, it was middle of winter. I still remember that feeling of getting off the tube in in Tottenham and it was so cold. And that... That dish was our connection to home because we lived with my grandmother and my two cousins in Kampala. And it was one dish that we always had. We we, we just enjoyed it together. And actually, mum then started to cook it a lot here because it was, it's quite a simple dish. And it's a cheap and dish cheap. and it's a tasty dish. And also, I'm guessing when you first arrived here, trying to find ingredients that you were familiar with... Yeah. And also not having much money. Of course. You know? Or space, because we lived space, in yeah. um, essentially a, a studio flat. I mean, there was the three of us in this tiny little place, mm. B&B in Finsbury Park. And it was one of those things you could do quite easy, because it's such, it's such a simple thing. Yeah. It's literally onions and garlic and tomatoes. Um, beans, we use... I actually had to phone mum and but say, tolly. what beans do we use? Because <laughs> there's, the so there's so many. so many beans. Yeah, yeah. batoli beans. But you can have red kidney beans or whatever with it. But we always had it, yeah, we always had it with batoli beans. Yeah. Uh, and curry powder. 
and salt and pepper. So actually, when you say rice and beans, yes, rice and beans, but there is a fair bit of flavour packed yeah, in there absolutely. with the things that you wrap it around. Mm-hmm. And is it two so, separate things? Two separate things. How do you things. do it? So you fry up the onions and the garlic, add your tomatoes into it, add your curry powder, salt and pepper, get that really kind of sizzling away I suppose boiling mm. away and then you add the beans to it got it so it's the um, beans go into the mix into the yeah. mix and it just sits and on the boil it slowly slowly yeah um, for some time does it all get absorbed into the beans or does it do you end up with a bit of juice as well yeah you have it's it's like a bean stew okay. like yeah yeah. yeah so then once yeah. you put it onto the rice the stew essentially it's seeps soaked into, into the, the rice, rice. absolutely yeah, exactly. and we would then have it with rice mostly mm-hmm. um and <laughs> and chapatis and i <laughs> attempted to make chapatis the other day does mum make chapatis no mom do you know what make it's such a palaver i have no time for that no 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 you know i'll see i remember when i was in kenya i had a number of um, a, uh, indian friends actually and they just <laughs> The chapati is done. When I try it, it takes me ages kneading it and then, you know, oh, no, 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 no. I've no time for chapatis. If I want chapatis, I go to a, a recommended Indian place where I can do takeaway chapatis. <laughs> it's such a, it oh, is. It's you know a mission. Having done it the other day, so having just come back from East Africa, I was like, right, I'm going to do beans and rice and I'm going to do it with chapatis. Yeah. To which my husband thought was hilarious because he was like, how much time have you got to make <laughs> exactly. these things? And it probably took about three hours. Mm-hmm. But yet, like, chapatis in East Africa, well, certainly in Uganda, are, are a street food. You know, you get them everywhere on the side of the street. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate to say this, I because mean, I'm the same. It takes me forever and it's rolling out dough. And, <sighs> and yet... There are like 10-year-old kids on the side of the street in Uganda <laughs> making these chapatis all day long. All day. And literally, they've got like a, a, a charcoal fire going on the side of the road. Yeah. They roll them out. A little mm. bit of oil. Bang, bang. Done. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, honestly, it didn't feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, I was like, roll it out. Then I put it in the pan. Three hours later. <laughs> is everyone starving by this point? <laughs> the boys yeah. had given up. They'd gone somewhere else. For me, it's always been this dish. And I mean, because we've had it, we have it with Matoki as well. Yeah. Um, but at that time, when we first got here, I don't think we were able to get Matoki in the way we didn't you do. We know where to find yeah. them. So yeah. So Matoki is Ugandan... Um, bananas but they're like plantain. a savory mm. banana mm. so um is and it it's in the real... plantain family i don't i can't yeah, yeah it, it is, is yeah it is and mm. you 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 peel the i mean it's a right it's a right to do do matoki anyway and i'll let mom <laughs> take do you it down know that way but i learned to peel matoki the plantain here because before you know, we had servants who do this and that, you know, and my mom had no idea about these things. So I learned to do, to peel them when I came here because so I wanted to eat is, is there any matoki in any of your dishes? Uh, yes. Right. So I'm going to jump us on from the yeah, beans absolutely. to the dish that has matoki in it. Matoki and then tell me about that dish. Okay. One thing with... Um, Matoki, to get the best flavor, you have to cook it for hours. Put it in water, but don't flood it. You know, just keep on 
uh, replenishing the water as it goes down, then you're adding a bit more water. So as it boils off, you're constantly adding water mm -hmm. to, yeah. for the hours. It's like if you went to a restaurant today in um, Uganda, they'll start processing the matoki from 7 o'clock. In the morning? In the morning. Until lunchtime. And you have to cook it in um, with a banana, banana leaves. leaves. That's when you get the proper, proper dish. Banana leaves? Can you get those here? No. <laughs> I can see you shaking your head. Yeah. Do you know what? I live in an area, lucky enough, where it's, you can get anything, any kind of food. And this is uh, North London, you know, near Seven Sisters, West Green Road. Very famous road. Very diverse community. Very diverse. One time I go to my usual um, supermarket. Guess what I see? Banana leaves from Colombia. What? Yes. So when I, I saw them, I bought two. <laughs> <laughs> Stock up. Put them in the freezer. Yeah, because it, it you know, banana leaves may add a flavour to the matoki, definitely. What is the flavour that the banana leaves add? Um, it's almost like a smoky flavour, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's like a, um, it's almost like a sweetness of mm, the banana leaves mm -hmm, come into, mm. the, into the bananas. Yeah. Um, My favourite dish which goes with my turkey, was cooked by my grandma in, in Uganda. My mom will take me and my sister there like once a month, you know, and especially when I would come from, for holidays in uh, Uganda from Britain. So my mom makes sure I go and see this grandma in the village. And um, this dish, it is called... Uh, Luombo. Luombo. It can be fish, it can be lamb, it can be beef cooked in the banana leaves. Oh, they, so they cook the meat or the fish in the banana leaves? Yes. With the matoki or set in a separate? Separate. Okay. Matoki but still within is, the banana yeah, leaves? Yeah, in the banana leaves. Oh my goodness, Laura. Oh. So you've made the matoki. Yes, yes, You've yes, made... Yes. The, the the lamb or the the fish yeah, in the, the meat with the yes in yes the leaves as well. But besides, you know, okay, let's leave this thing to the gravy to be boiling away slowly, slowly. You've got the whole day anyway for it to cook. I wish we had whole days to cook. For this, but, you know, I'm just <laughs> to start at seven a.m. Yeah. and be cooking all day. Yeah. That's what makes it so special because, you and know... would Grandma get up and literally cook all day? Oh, yeah. yeah. She'll be up at sun, you know, sunrise and everything. But besides having the, the, the stew and the matoki, you have other side dishes. Oh, what are the other side dishes? Sweet potato, oh. cassava... Um, you can have beans, there's avocados. There. Look, I need to stop it. for a moment on the avocados because I went to East Africa thinking I knew what an avocado tasted you like. You don't know until you get to East Africa. <laughs> I mean, the avocados are They're next just level. So amazing. They're like mm. the size of a small football, essentially. <laughs> 
and they're so creamy and mm. so tasty. And mm. I suppose the trouble is here we don't we don't get East African avocados in this country. I think we get do we get Israeli oh, ones? Oh, Ooh. hang on, we're about to get some insider knowledge here. <laughs> yeah. That's that's why I love where I live. Because it's so diverse. Do you get East African avocados? Yes, from Said. <laughs> Your avocado dealer. Yeah, everything in his shop is from Uganda. No way. Yes, Said. I will introduce okay, you to Said. Okay, I need Saeed. to know where the shop is. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was there a couple of days ago. So, Matoki avocados. I'm off to see Saeed. <laughs> <laughs> I might not actually finish this podcast. I might be out, out of the door. Um, so two very comfort dishes, uh, you know, between the beans yes. and the matoki. Yes. What's next on the What's next? next? So I'm going to jump way forward um, <laughs> and do chili fajitas. And it takes me back to, um, to America. So... About 10 years ago, my husband and I moved to, to the States. We'd come from having lived in Kampala and moved with a, uh, I suppose it was, it was about six months old, a six month old baby and a two and a half year old to Philadelphia. And the dish that connected us and the kids and really got them to love, like they absolutely love chili fajitas because it's the variety that you get on the table. So not only do you have the, the chili mince and the beans again, actually, um, <laughs> But you've got your avocado and your guacamole. Um, you've got your, your salsa. You've got your chili. You've got your um, cheese as well. And mm. because Philadelphia and the States in general has a huge Mexican and South American population, it was mm. the one dish that I think that instantly as feet as young kids young babies feeding the idea of connecting and being able to pick to up pick all yeah. these various the bits table. and then you're wrapping you're it all your yourself yeah. you're making your whole meal yourself they just absolutely adore um so it just it takes me to being again a foreigner in another country uh in a country that I'd never really been to be, i'd never been to the states um it's taken us on this adventure into a world that I never thought I'd get to explore. I never thought I'd get to go to America. I never mm. thought I'd get to live in America. It's our little connection to, to Philadelphia as well, because yeah. we don't visit um, nearly as much as we should, but it was, mm. it was somewhere that so we really So it's another enjoyed. connection to a place that you, d you don't live, yeah. but you have very fond memories Absolutely. of. Absolutely. How do you do it? So um, start off by doing the chili meat. So um, I suppose the stables, onions, onions garlic, throw in the mince I actually only use three spices which is cumin um, paprika and uh, and chili I've always wanted to make sure that the kids ate spicy food because spicy food is just so beautiful so and it's so beautiful as well so yeah. it was very much a way of being able to do that and then add uh, red kidney beans with with a bit of a these the tins usually come in like with a chili sauce in it so that adds quite a lot of flavor and then just boil it up with salt and pepper and just let mm. it boil for um, half an hour 40 minutes and then alongside that do rice we always have a little bit of rice on the side um, we have guacamole so either I attempt to make guacamole from feeling brave enough or I just buy, buy a packet because <laughs> you get in the supermarket yeah. you get your four pack don't you of like uh, chili, chili yeah. dips yes. you know Mexican dips so that, that's yeah. That's my cheat. <laughs> There's not usually time to make it. Um, and then we do the cheese and then and then the kids just sit there and they're just literally like grabbing across the table. Brilliant. What's lovely about these dishes is you've given them a food memory now from Philadelphia. Mm. You'd never been there before you moved no. there. 
Wow. No, that was quite... That's really... I think that's really brave. See, I didn't see it as being particularly mm. that brave because Matt's colleague at the time lived and worked in Philly. We almost fell into a little bit of a community once we got there. Um, because I had young kids, I fell into mum groups quite easily and then mm. had... Instantly had something in common with a lot of mums were there. So I met a lot of friends who had kids about the same sort of age and became part of that world while Matt went and did the corporate software thing. A year and a half into it, having loved it, because America is you a beautiful country. You absolutely loved your time there. I remember really you being so it. fond of your time there. Um, and we got to the point where Harley was just at the cusp of starting school here. So he was nearly four because you start school when you're four here. And so we had that point where we were like, do we stay in the United States or do we go back to the UK so you can, can go to school in the UK? But then on top of that, in my head, I was conscious that I had two mixed race young boys. And I was like, how can I bring up, like, how can I comfortably bring up two young men, um, young black men in America today? And I just couldn't reconcile myself with that because... Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has, is a state where you're allowed to carry a concealed weapon. So just, just the very idea that you could be sitting next to somebody on the subway who's got a pistol, I mean, I just could not compute that. Mm. And then add on top of that the idea that my child is a threat. And I mean, we're talking tiny kids, but at some point they will be seen as a threat to people. Yeah. And what is that reaction to that threat? I just could not, I just was like, there's no way I can and do it. And that blows my brain because I know your two sons and threat is never a word that I would associate <laughs> with either of them. Exactly. Mm. And I just couldn't reconcile myself in living in a society where that was and I don't know whether that comes back to being in Uganda actually talking about it here and having guns and all of that around and growing up in that and thinking no just no, no. for the yeah. same reason that your mum didn't want you and Letitia to grow up absolutely in, in an area where you know guns are prolific now Helen Vanita touched on you arriving into the UK at the start of the Gulf War so what happened with your two with yeah. your two okay. children how I ended up here with my children was because I was schooled in Britain. I had connections in Britain. My mom had connections in, in Britain. So uh, and when I went to Uganda, I didn't feel um, comfortable, you know. I, I felt like I was a stranger. I didn't understand a lot of things like that. And I said, I don't think I can live in this country. And what really put me off are the thieves. Yeah. Thieves. The whole country was just in this huge flux. Mm. And one of my lasting memories of living in that house, I remember Granny would, to prevent thieves from getting uh -huh. in, would put um, a, a car battery attached to wires to make sure Going. the bars in the house were electrified, were electrified El, yeah. so people couldn't windows. get in. And the windows. So those very bars, literally those bars and those windows literally were electrified. electrified. And is mm. that what made you make the decision yeah. to come to the UK? What really made me, tipped everything for me was when I had taken the kids to school, left the house, boy, house girl, that's how they Yeah, of course, tired. everyone has pe yeah. people that help me yeah, them in Uganda. Yeah, yeah. So uh, coming back, you know, from dropping them off, then I found that uh, the house girl is not there. Everything had been taken. All the clothes, 
what we had on our backs, that's what was left. So Who she'd emptied your house? It was really hurtful. The garden boy told me, you know what, just go and report. Don't even go to the police because the police don't do nothing. Just go to the army headquarters there in Mango and report it. So I went to the army, army headquarters. I met a nice young captain <laughs> there. Hey, hey. Traumatic, the most, one of the most traumatic days of your life. And you met a lovely young man. <laughs> you know, and he could tell that I wasn't a local person, you know, there. So he says, don't worry, madam. We'll, we'll, um, we might not be able to get that person, but at least we're going to protect you. In the evening, I see two Land Rovers coming, packed with food, bags of sugar, matoki, flour, you name wow. it. You know, and some soldiers. Two at the veranda, who were going to be stationed there, and two at the back. Wow. I had that until I left Uganda. That's terrifying. Mm. Mm. But what really uh, shocked me when we came uh, at Heathrow, we've left soldiers behind in Uganda. We're used to guns and everything. You reach Heathrow. And it's full of soldiers because of the Gulf War. We left them behind and then we're coming across this, you know. Vanessa, do you remember having the guards there? Vaguely. So we jumped ahead earlier because mm. I wanted to go to a matoki dish but I think you have another dish dumpling. ready for me dumplings South African style dumplings <laughs> tell me about these dumplings I was introduced to this dish by my grandma in the free state in South Africa um, they were living on a farm with my grandpa and my cousins and, and you know it's like the whole village belonged to one family, you know. And uh, Sundays was a very big day. And my grandma would actually make dumplings. They vary from country to country, isn't it? But in, what I grew up with was that it was self-raising flour, yeast, salt, and sweat. And then... The dumpling is not these small, mingy ones. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not the mingy one. She actually uh, make it into a dome-like thing, you know, because it will be put in a pot. Okay, so it's like a huge, like a super huge. dumpling. Yes, yes. That one was prepared the night before because the yeast needs to work and everything covered overnight, and then early in the morning, grandma will start making the stew now. That stew can be any kind of meat. Not many spices, mind you. Now, once that is, the stew is done, grandma will put the stew in a very big pot, because we're many, you know. Of course. And um, then she puts the dumpling on top of that stew. And that stew, it has to have bones where the dumpling can sit. <sighs> Let it cook slowly, slowly, slowly. Because cooking the dumpling takes about 
half an hour or so, you know, if the, the stew is already boiling, half an hour. When you start smelling that dumpling and, uh, and the gravy, that's when you feel, yeah, I can eat. <laughs> Amazing. When it came to serving, uh, Grandma, she was the only one allowed to deal with the food or dishing out, you know. So she'll take the dumpling aside, cut it like you, we cut bread, yeah? yeah? Put it on each one's plate. We were quite civilized. We had plates. <laughs> <laughs> Those plates. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> so, you know, she'll dish out maybe for Vita, for Lara, you know, like that. That's a really lovely memory for you I can it just is, tell it is All of and I think my mum spoiled us because she never actually made us sit around while she's cooking no we're busy playing in the garden or you know doing our own thing you know which was quite different from me Come, 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 mate. Come, come and do these dishes. So you were always... We always cooked together. Yeah, Mum always yeah. got us to cook the and, and dishes. That's, yeah, I felt I had to teach them to cook because this is a totally different country. You know, we don't have servants to do these things for us. So I made sure that they learn how to cook yeah, yeah, at a very early age, you know. So we are moving on to Vanita's next dish. My next dish. Right. Um. Oh, <laughs> Helen knows what it is. I can tell. Do a little dance in your chair. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my next dish has got two very specific memories attached to it, um, or certain life experiences, and it it is the South African braai. So tell it's me what braai is. A braai is barbecue. South African phrase for barbecue, and it's a real institution because the weather's so nice out there. Outdoor eating is very much front and centre of the culture. Um, and when you have a braai, and we usually have it, whenever we're there, we tend to be there around Christmas time. So it's got, it elevates itself even more because it's Christmas time. So you generally, you get uh, borovort, even though many South Africans would tell me I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, <laughs> but they're the curled sausages, that are a sausage curled up into a ring. Mm. And you get, and they're huge, they're, you know, they're like probably as wide as a good dinner plate size. It's probably like six sausages in one. In one. Yeah. <laughs> More than <Massive>. six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of different flavours and spices within those. Um, you get your chicken dishes, which are marinated in, um, we always have Jimmy's um, steakhouse sauce and marinades, mm. all that, which is mm. beautiful. Um, you have lamb, and when we have lamb in this country, you get these piddly little, little pieces. Lamb. Yeah, yeah. It's just like what? What is that? Like when you get lamb in <laughs> South Africa, <laughs> you're getting like a solid piece of meat. Um, and you put those in the barbecue. You have your roasted corn, which is very much something that's eaten across the whole of Africa. Mm. Plus, you have racks of ribs. I mean, you have every meat you can every possibly have dinner. in copious amounts as well. And then loads of salad. Um, Plenty of wine. The reason it's super special to me is because the first time I went to South Africa was uh, when I was was 19 years old. So we'd been here nine years by that point in this country and it had taken 
so long for the system to work through our status in the UK. Mm. Were you stuck here whilst that happened? Oh, yeah. Yes. Nine years yeah. without a status. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you're talking about the 90s. I mean, God knows what it's like now. Um, they took passports. And we were both... So both took your Ugandan passports. Took our Ugandan passports. We only had the one because we were both on mum's passport mm-hmm. as, as minors. So it was just mum's passport with the two of us in it. Um, and that just disappeared into the black hole of the home office, basically. Yeah. Um, as I got an older teen, we'd done our GCSEs and my three best friends went interrailing in Europe. And I couldn't go because because I didn't have a passport. Heartbreaking. It was. It was really heartbreaking because we'd all, you know, you know, it's like doing your exams and we'd all worked really hard and they all got to go off and have this most amazing Mm. experience in Europe that I never, and still to this day, was never part of that. And, you know, we're all still super close. And then when we got into doing our A-levels, they then all got to go to Paris on one of the courses they were doing. And I didn't get to go to Paris. I was just like, this really sucks. So when they finally gave us our, it was leave to remain, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And gave our passports back. It took nine years to get leave nine to remain. Nine years yeah, to get that. Living in limbo. Yeah. Me and my three best friends had been planning after we'd finished our A-levels that we were going to go travelling around the world. And so it was just absolutely just hanging on to getting my Ugandan passport back, got my passport back, had to then go through the oh, Hang on, did you have to travel on your Ugandan passport? Yes. Oh, my word. So we started planning our trip. I had to go chasing around every single embassy. The only one that was a real... Australian. Yeah, the Australian embassy, and it really grated me, and I remember putting in for my application to get it, and they said, no, you can't have a visa to go to Australia because you are young, black, single, you've got no reason to come back to the UK. We think you're just basically going to turn up in Australia and never leave. And on a round world ticket, you couldn't do it. You had to go through there. So remember me and mum going down to the um, Australian embassy and mum being totally, she was furious. What do you mean my daughter's not got anything to come back to in this country? Like, she's shouting at this <laughs> man. I love that. <laughs> Angry mum. Angry mum there. So you're coming from the UK. It's coming from like, the UK. Oh. I, had, I had, like, four other countries to go to after Australia. I had no interest in staying in Australia. None of it. But it was an instant carte blanche. You can't come in because, because of these reasons. Um... But we argued and mum shouting at them. <laughs> Good. It worked. It worked. We got, got the Australian visa. It was nice to go and nice to be there, but um, we, wanted, we wanted to move on to Africa and we were all keen to get to South Africa. So we then flew from Australia into South Africa and went to, to my auntie, to see my auntie and my grandma, and I hadn't seen them since I was oh my goodness eight, well 10 mm. 10 at that point and that'd be my first exposure your to your first bride. bride and it was just so nice to connect with family again the next time we went back to South Africa we'd actually got our British passports at that point because as soon as I got the opportunity I was like first in the queue as soon as they were like <laughs> you can have a British passport I was right there I was swearing <laughs> allegiance to the queen yeah. <laughs> All of it. I was like, I'm here. Yes, Trisha and I, we took our you time. You took so long. I don't know why they took so long. I was like, this is my ticket to go wherever I want in the world. Like, I'm doing it. And then we all went back in 2005. Remember, we went back. And and I remember us going to the beach. So it would have been my gran and my auntie, 
Lati, me and mum, and mm. we'd all gone over there for Christmas, and we'd gone to Coffee Bay, and we'd had this most amazing barbecue at Coffee yes, Bay. Yes, on we'd the still beach. Do, yeah, on the beach, with this little barbecue, and we'd have roasted corn that we'd got on the side of the road. Mm. We ate all of this, and it was just such a magical day of all being together. Um, and still to this day, because my auntie then passed away two years after mm. that, so we'd never got to do that again, really. So Bri equals your big family. I'm going to pass back to Helen to get your last dish. Okay. Um, In Uganda, you know, they eat rice, matoki, whatever, sweet potatoes. But this time I'm going to just focus on the tilapia. The tilapia. Which is the most most common fish in uh, you get uh, east africa actually because it comes from lake victoria isn't it so you get it in all those three different countries you know tilapia it can it can be quite small or it can be it quite can huge yeah <laughs> yeah so um the way i grew up eating it was in two ways you can either Fry the onions, tomato, you know, those basic things, and then a bit of water, curry powder, and then dump the the fish in there. Let it cook slowly, slowly, slowly. Africans believe in cooking slowly, slowly. <laughs> I, I've heard today. I didn't realise. I mean, I yeah, I, I, I kind of knew that it all took a long time, but mm, mm. not quite as long as... <laughs> Starting from dawn till dusk, yeah. like you know. Um, but what I learned later on in my life was that it can be fried, you know, dry fried, which is very nice. You know. So you season the first of all on the on the fish, you have to cut slices. So you take the whole fish, don't you, and then you cut slices yes, into yes, yes. the flesh. But, but deep um, slices right down yeah, to the bone. Yeah, so that, you know, the marinade can go, go inside. inside, you know. But uh, these days, oh, for some time now, I chop off the head. Because, Letitia, my daughter can't stand looking at those eyes. Because <laughs> usually you just cook it all, don't yeah, you? Yeah, in Uganda you get the yeah. whole fish. Yeah. Yeah. My mum used to say, you know, if you eat the fish eyes, you'll be very clever. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel that. about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a way to get us all So kids I know how them. fish eyes taste. Oh. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, so you, you let the fish marinate, you know, even overnight, it can be okay. Very simple. Oh, I didn't say what kind of marinade it was. That's all right. Tell us what kind of marinade it was. <laughs> uh, of course, curry powder has to be there. Cumin, a bit of um, oregano, if you want. Coriander is a must. And that one you sprinkle it on after. Why is the tilapia the fish of choice? Do you know when I was, uh, whenever I visited mum, wherever she would be, Fridays was fish day. Oh, of course, fish Fridays is the thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, Friday we'll eat tilapia. 
Lake Victoria only has two fishes, the fish that it come out indeed. of it. So no you either perch. have the Nile perch, which is probably about Humongous. a metre and a half. I mean, it's a huge, huge fish. Mm, or you, you have the tilapia. And I think tilapia is just a much nicer flavour mm, than Nile perch. Mm. And so then everybody, everybody eats tilapia because... That's essentially all Or straps rooms. it to the front of their car. Or straps it to the front of the taxi. <laughs> on the border, border. The reason I brought this story up is because Vanita and I have done this on her car. Um, is <laughs> you pass by the fishmonger selling this fish and it's normally come quite Straight quickly out, out of the, yeah. the lake. And because it, it can smell if you're on a longer journey, mm. they strap mm. it to the bull bars on the front of your car <laughs> and you drive. It's a ventilation for the fish. So you have to wash off all the pollution and dust. <laughs> It makes it taste better. <laughs> Added seasoning. <laughs> Honestly, it's nice to travel, isn't it? You see all sorts of things, really. <laughs> I think we all have a massive love. For travelling. And for East Africa. Yeah, well, absolutely. in Uganda in particular, mm. around this table. But mm. Ugandan people are much more... Um, just tolerant and and i think having gone through so many years of war and upheaval and turmoil they'd rather take the peace the peace that they've got it might not be perfect it was far from perfect but they would rather have that than fight back against the system and end up in in a war type situation and, and, and end up back what your mom was saying earlier with mm-hmm. you having to live in constant fear mm-hmm. with the looting and yeah. No and, law and order. Uh, you know, and actually, like you say, the peace has come at a price. Yeah. And actually, it's a price that the Ugandans are willing to pay. Yeah, absolutely. Just live with the level of corruption, the level of poverty, yeah. the lack of infrastructure, they, they all of those live things. With it, isn't it really? Because the alternative yeah. is just horrific. I mean, look at Sudan. You know, they just wouldn't want, just, just don't want to go there. Mm. So, army. There is something to be said for just. just for just peace and quiet. Yeah. And it's exactly. Helen, why you brought your family and your girls here to live a peaceful, prosperous life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Ladies, today has been absolutely joyful. I've loved it. It's been (laughs) hilarious. And and I've learnt so much from both of you about the foods and the journeys and the people. It always comes back Mm. to people. So thank you for joining me. It's been amazing. It's been really good. Thank you for having us. What I think has made it more interesting for you is because our families are here, there and everywhere. You know what (laughs) I mean? It's not just from one country as such, you know. The world would be a very dull place if we were all from the same. (laughs) Yes. Same place. It really would be. Very homogenous. Sharing Plate is a What's Wear Media production and is presented by Lara Bishop. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to Sharing Plates, please help us out. Like it, follow us, share it and tell a friend.